But let's talk a little bit about uh, recovering our lost appetite for liberty. Pastor, what do you mean by this? Let me give you an illustration. Let's pretend like you're going out to your favorite restaurant. It's where you go to all the high moments in your life, anniversary celebrations, and you order your favorite entree from the menu, and they bring it out. And instead of devouring it like you normally do and enjoying every bite, you start picking around in the corners and nibbling. And in fact, you're just kind of tired of the whole thing, and you leave it on your plate. And then the, the waitress comes and asks if you need a, a, a to-go box. Any of you have ever been there? And of course, you know, if you're like us, you never let food just sit there. So you get a, um, you get a to-go box because there's lots of mouths to feed in your family. And when you get home, shockingly, instead of putting the box in your refrigerator, you feed your, your you know, five-star entree you know, from your favorite uh, restaurant, you feed it to your dog <laughs> because it's just lost its, you know, whatever, all right? That's the way I felt when we got this pop quiz called the COVID pandemic, all right? How I many know it was a pop quiz because we never got to study? It just hit us by surprise. And how many of you know if you ever got hit with a pop quiz in school, most of the time it was a rude awakening because you weren't studying for anything. It caught you by surprise, and the teacher did that on purpose. It was kind of a wake-up call. I really believe that what we just experienced was a massive wake-up call in the whole area of liberty because what we saw was the government's response to the COVID crisis was a perfect example of pitting life against liberty and losing both in the process. Uh, it was an absolute disaster on a variety of fronts. But for me, it was a massive eye-opener because if you're like me, we, fought, we were caught in this tension of trying to fight for our essential freedoms on the one hand and on the other hand, trying to be a good neighbor. And any of you find yourself in that tension? In fact, most of you, if you were like those of us at our church, we were condemned for somehow not being a good neighbor. We, we were the super spreader church. Remember all this? I'm just bringing this up because I'm just trying to remind you. We were the super spreader church. If we dared open up our, our, the four walls of this building and invited people to come in, we were going to be the worst neighbors possible. In fact, it was kind of funny. We, we had already purchased all of these cards to send out for Easter that year. We were doing this massive mailing. We had matching T-shirts. Anybody remember that? We were, we were throwing you T-shirts as you went through the drive-thru. But we had this incredibly big decision to make. Do we send out our cards to welcome everybody to come out for Easter when, when our government was telling us we weren't allowed to celebrate Easter? Well, I don't like wasting things, and I also like stirring things up. So... I'm like, we already purchased these cards. I'm not throwing them in the dumpster. We're going to do a mass mailing and make people wonder if Living Stones is going to have Easter service. And if anything, they'll go online and they'll go to our website and they'll go, hey, they're going to be online for Easter. Well, we had neighbors that called the governor's office and tattled on us and again accused us of being bad neighbors for simply wanting to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, conquered sin and sickness and death and disease. Uh, but anyway... Um, churches were deemed as non-essential. Some churches, depending on where you were at, were actually chained shut, shuttered. And here was the clear message from some governments, spiritual health is meaningless, unimportant, or irrelevant. And in the name of public safety, we were forced, how about this one? This is a painful one. We were forced to leave our loved ones alone in hospitals and nursing homes. Anybody have that situation? 
I know there are people who said, I'm not even going to have this treatment now because I don't want to get stuck in some hospital where I'm left alone, where no one can come in and care for me. My family can't even come in and care for me. We've had people in this room that went through the painful experience of losing a mom or dad in the hospital. And, they, and here, it, again, I, we, could, we could understand that maybe a little bit on one level, but here, here, here's the other side of the coin. We had marijuana dispensaries, casinos, and strip clubs that were considered essential while we couldn't go visit our mom in the hospital. The same was true for small businesses, not the big box stores, but the small businesses. Many of you own small businesses that were told that you were not essential. But I loved that courageous woman, I think she was a hairdresser, who boldly declared that as a single mother, her business was indeed essential to feeding her children and carrying on with life. It was interesting that we had some mama bears that decided, well, I'm opening anyway. Uh, and again, the problem with all this was while they were shutting everybody's business down, we had certain politicians that were still getting their hair done. <laughs> my, my point in sharing all this is if you have the slightest appetite for freedom... These things should irritate you to the point where you do something about it because you realize something is seriously wrong with this whole scenario. We were strong-armed by a host of authorities and experts to receive a highly questionable medical treatment, and even well-meaning and winsome pastors became the mouthpiece for the cause. Now, again... Praise the Lord for pastors, and we're community-minded people. But here's my challenge to us all. At the same time, these same pastors could muster no courage to support members of their own church family who had serious concerns or objections or were even being threatened with the loss of their jobs if they didn't comply with the medical treatment that was being forced upon us. It's one thing to encourage people to be public players, but I have never understood why a pastor cannot figure out why it's important to stand for the religious liberty, uh, essential, you know, uh, f foundational liberties that we have been given by God. Why in the world the pulpits should not be leading the way on that, and yet the pulpits were largely silent, which is amazing to me. Somehow it was Christ-like to roll over and to submit to our authorities I think Romans 13 was probably the most popular passage preached during the pandemic. Even though the government was clearly overstepping the authority that we the people gave them, many believers were as silent as church mice. It made us ask some really hard questions, did it not? Who are we? Like an identity question. Who are we as the church of Jesus Christ? What's our proper role as we interface with government at all levels? What does it mean for Christians to be Christians in this fallen world? How many of you know as believers we've been called to live out our faith in all spheres of society? And the truth is we have receded more and more and more over the years from public life to where the voice of the church at this point in American history is almost irrelevant. And when we actually do show up and open our mouths, they look at us like, who are you guys and what are you doing? You don't belong here. How many of you know that is a, a clear recession that's happened in the church from who we were and what we, uh, what we were at the founding of this nation. We've mistakenly shrunk ourselves into this little tiny bubble of life called the religious sphere. And don't you appreciate that the secular world says that we're free, at least for this moment, to do what we want inside of our buildings, 
But when we crawl out of our buildings, we have to bow to secular authority. We have to bow to the state. Now, let me just say, for a while, they let us do what we want in this building, but COVID changed all that. Now we couldn't take communion. We couldn't sit by each other. We certainly couldn't hug. We couldn't sing songs. Remember that? Because water droplets would fall out of our mouths. <laughs> I mean, this... But you could take your mask down at one of the big box stores to eat peanuts or something like that, and the, the water droplets could fall out of your mouth there, but they could not fall out of your mouth while you were at church because there was something really dangerous about being here at church. Now, I'm bringing all this up because this should tick you off. And I wanted to remind you this is not that far in the past. And I just heard this. this. Oh, this set me off, okay? I got to be, try to be good here because my time's going to be so gone. I even did front and back to make me feel better today, and I still have way too many pages of notes. All right. I just found out that when our team went to Honduras in the mountains where, where very few Westerners go, all right? Part of the reason why those village people were afraid of people from the United States is, number one, because they don't see us very often. This is a remote mountain village. But this is what I just heard yesterday. The other reason they were afraid is during COVID, there were people from the West, mostly white-skinned or light-skinned people, who went to the mountains to force all of these mountain people who are way away from civilization to be vaccinated. And they were running from people because the last time we showed up, we had needles. This is incredible government overreach. And this was happening all over the globe in the name of keeping people safe. So here's my final question to us. I, mean, I guess it's not my final question. Let's ask one more question. <laughs> Why have we forgotten the rich legacy given to us by our forefathers? We are guaranteed the free exercise. Can everybody say that with me? Free exercise of our faith. And, uh, and we've somehow forgotten that. We can worship Jesus everywhere, every day, every place. That, that's what our rights are. And today we pause to remember those who have paid for this liberty with the price of their own blood. People have died for these freedoms. And so the question remains, why should we so willingly and meekly allow these blood-bought freedoms to be stripped away from us without even a fight? How do we remain silent in the face of evil? How do we continue, like Esau, to give away something precious, our birthright, for a bowl of mush? And can I just tell you, if I had to grade the response of the church, given this last episode, I would give us an Esau kind of grade. We, we handed away precious liberties for an absolute bowl of mush. And my challenge to you is, God help us if we ever face round two and we react the same way. What we have been given is so precious, it was purchased with the price of blood. And it is unlike anywhere else in the world. And I want to kind of frame this for you. I don't have much time. i got to talk quick. I'm going to quit asking all these questions because I'm not giving you any answers, all right? What good is it to come to church and have nothing but questions? All right. Let's talk about the perpetual grab for power. What just happened during COVID obviously is nothing new throughout history. The history of government is a study of the perpetual grab for power. Now, here's where we are in America today. Just a little history. 
we usually talk about people on the left and people on the right. Those on the far left we call Marxists or progressives, and those on the far right we call fascists or Christians. <laughs> How many of you have ever been called a fascist, all right? And if, you have, if you're paying attention, trust me, you have been. You've been called a deplorable and all kinds of names as well. But how many of you know those, those terms are really not helpful? Uh, because the truth is communism and fascism both lead to the same thing, a police state. So our founding fathers used a more accurate yardstick. They measured political systems in terms of how much power and control those systems exercised over people. So let me go to the graph we have up here. I want to show you uh, a better way to understand uh, government, all right? On the one hand, you have anarchy. And on the other hand, you have tyranny. Anarchy is simply no government, no law, no power. It's everyone, as the Bible says, doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Tyranny, on the other end of the graph, involves too much power, too much political oppression, too much control. So how many of you know if, if, if you have a view of freedom that says do whatever you want, no one can tell you how to live, and it's basically licentiousness, what you get is anarchy. And if you get too much anarchy, what happens is you end up with tyranny. Because government steps in and cracks down on the chaos, and what you have left is tyranny. Our founding fathers were geniuses in the sense that what they wanted was not anarchy or tyranny. They wanted something down the middle called ordered liberty. Ordered liberty. Not just liberty, ordered liberty. In other words, liberty under the rule of law. Historically, we see the human tendency to consolidate power and control in the few. Power has this nasty uh, ingredient in it. It always wants to concentrate. And so how many of you notice we have a movement towards globalism uh, in America and around the world today? Uh, this whole thing was a globalist orchestration, the whole COVID uh, situation. It was completely globalist. It was completely planned. And we even have a situation now where the World Health Organization wants to call the shots on the next health crisis because it's already being planned, all right? So we've got, we've got, we got entities out there that are globalist in nature. And when I say globalist, it means there's no accountability to we the people. Now, let me just say, too, we had, we had these health experts, local health experts, that were trying to make policy and shut people down and tell you where you could go and where you couldn't go. This is fundamentally un-American because there was no consent of the government. And if you don't understand who you are and you don't understand these principles, you get sucked into being a good neighbor when you're not being a good neighbor. You're, you're selling your freedoms Again, for a bowl of mush, and in the end, it's going to come back to bite you. So you have to understand who we are. we got to understand the way things work. Now, it should come as no surprise that the most common form of government was that of kings. So you look all throughout history, and monarchies are the most common form of government. A, 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 governor, a government of one, the king. Now, let me tell you how this government with kings works. It works on a patronage system. And the reason I'm sharing this is because more and more America is looking like a nation run by a king. And let me, let me show you how this works. In a patronage system, the king is basically a glorified gang leader, all right? If you're a friend of the king, you're more equal. George Orwell said this, all animals are equal, but some are more equal. If you're not a friend of the king, you're less equal. 
If you're an enemy of the king, you're either dead or you're a slave. So let's take a look in the Bible at the example of Ahab. This is in 1 Kings chapter 21. King Ahab was the king of Samaria, and you all know he was a wicked, evil man, and his wife Jezebel was just as atrocious as he was. And a man by the name of Naboth owned a family vineyard that butted right up to the king's property. And the king asked Naboth to sell him the property. But Naboth said the property had belonged to his family for years and years and years, and he did not want to sell the king his land. But Ahab pouted. He jumped in bed. And like a two-year-old with a temper tantrum, he decided he wasn't going to eat. That's when his nasty wife, king, Queen Jezebel, enters, and we pick up the story in verse 7, 1 Kings 21, verse 7. She rips him. Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something, and don't worry about it. I will get you Naboth's vineyard. So this is an example of modern politics. It's actually old politics, but it's still in fashion today. Look at verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She sealed them with his seal, and she sent them to the elders and the other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions of Jeze that Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast. They put Naboth at the prominent place before the people. And then the two scoundrels came, and they sat down across from him. And they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said, Ahab, you know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. How many of you know this is an example of what we call a despot? It's a godly, godless rather dictator with no strings attached. The authority is absolute, arbitrary, and, uh, and, and they go out and they simply do whatever they want, however they want, with zero accountability. Do whatever they want, however they want, with zero accountability. This is called tyranny. And I don't care what political stripe you're, you're under. If you live like this, it's wicked and it's wrong. And it used to be a day when it didn't matter what party you, you were, there was enough integrity to say, you know what, that's not how we play the game. But that's gone now, too, because we've lost truth, and all we have now is power. And so this is what we're looking at. But let me quickly say this. Our founders had a better way, all right? And God had a better way. God introduced to us this notion called self-government. And I, I want to I scream this to us today. Because when we talk about government, most people think federal government. Or they think state government. Or they think local government. But as Christians, the first thing you should think of when I say government is self-government. Let me explain by what I mean. Israel did not live this way at the start. We sang about Egypt today and delivering from Egypt. How many of you know the first 400 years out of Egypt, Israel was the first nation under God? They were a Hebrew republic. It was a brand new phenomenon on the face of the planet. Here's what was unique about Israel. They were self-governing citizens. They were slaves, 
They got delivered from slavery, and now they were living as free men and women under God. This was radical. This was like nowhere to be found ever in the history of government or in the history of planet Earth. The idea was you teach people the law of God, the law of God meaning the immutable, transcendent law on which we base our national law. Now, can I just quickly say, we are not a theocracy in America, but we are a nation under God and under the law of God because our, our common law has to come from somewhere and has to come from somewhere that is immutable and transcendent. Otherwise, law becomes a power play, all right? So we've lost our moorings. We were a nation under God and under the law of God, and that's been rejected over the last how many decades? So here we have a situation where the Bible's introducing these radical, earth-shaking ideas. And let me give some of them to you. How about this one? People are made in God's image. That's a radical idea. God is no respecter of persons. Men, women, children, equally valuable. Now, how many of you know across the history of governments over the world and religions over the world, women and children were not equally as valuable as men. And in most nations of the world, this is not true. But that is not true in God's eyes. Everybody's on equal ground before God in terms of value and worth, all right? How about this one? The foundation of the concept of equality. How about this? Private property. Where do we get the idea of private property? From the Bible. God is not a communist. God is not a socialist. In fact, the Ten Commandments support private property because there's a commandment not to steal, how about this? Marketplace integrity, just weights and balances. In other words, you can't cheat people when you conduct business. What a radical idea. How about the rule of law? It doesn't matter what position you're in, you have to obey the law like everybody else. How about representative government where people are able to choose their leaders? Wow, these are crazy ideas. Where kings rule by fear, this is radical, the people rule by virtue. How's that work, Pastor? Well, the Levites were supposed to teach the people the law. And so when they taught the people the law, they reminded them of some important truths. Number one, God is watching. I mean, the fear of the God, fear of the Lord, the fact that he sees you keeps you from living an evil life because you might think you can get away with something because the people around you aren't watching, but God is always watching. I mean, you know, this is a great parenting principle as well. God is always watching. So what, what does that mean? So be fair and honest. Treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. Why? Because there's an all-seeing, all-knowing God who is going to hold you accountable. And so our founding fathers, please hear me, we're not looking at ancient Greece and Rome for their, for their truths on how to build successful governments because those were histories of failure. They were actually experts in studying the Old Testament. Many of our founding universities taught Hebrew. Why? It wasn't that they were just training pastors, that was part of it, but they taught Hebrew because the greatest document for understanding ordered liberty was how God took his people out of 400 years of slavery and turned them into the most prosperous nation on planet Earth. And they go, how? Wait a minute. How did God do this? 
In fact, I want to encourage all of you who are anti-government and church that those don't go together. In fact, this is sacrilegious to some people today. I wore this just to be sacrilegious, by the way. Because some people say loving God and loving Jesus should not, and loving your nation should not all happen in church on Sunday. Well, I got news for you. It was people who loved Jesus and loved the Bible that gave us this nation and the ideas of this great nation, and they can go together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit a whole bunch of stuff. Like, who's ever working back there? Brother, you, I'm, I, yeah, good job. You're doing great, but I'm editing as I'm going. I, got, I am, I'm out in no man's land right now. So let me just say this. It was pastors and their local churches that were responsible for setting up civil government all across the East Coast. Everyone over 40 come. In fact, I wish, I wish you had time to get into this. It was a pastor named Thomas Hooker from Connecticut who taught biblically about church government and then applied the Bible's teaching for government to the civil government. That's what we call Connecticut the Constitution State, and it's why his writings were the foundation of our national constitution. In fact, where did the idea of constitution come from? It came from God's dealing with Israel because he made a covenant with his people in writing, which was the foundation of covenantal constitutional republic. So can I just, um, every time somebody today talks about, we're losing our democracy, we are a threat to democracy, just say, don't worry, we're not keeping the democracy anyway. We're a covenantal constitutional republic. We have never been a democracy. It's better that way, and I'm going to explain why that's the secret to 247 years of success. But here's what we understood. I got to, I got to skip. Oh, listen to this. Chief Justice John Jay, 1777. Your lives, your liberty, and your property will be at the disposal only of your creator and yourselves. No biggie there. Just one of the first Supreme Court justices and one of our founders. Your lives, your liberty, and your property will be at the disposal only of your creator and yourself. There's no phrase in there of anything about government. Alexis de Tocqueville said, America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Now, it's not talking about some type of human goodness. It's talking about righteousness that comes from knowing Christ. And it's talking about virtue that makes us a people. How many of you know, if you're out of control and you're living a licentious lifestyle and all you care about is you, you are somebody that needs an external form of government to put chains on your appetites because you're a threat to society. Anybody watching what's happening in France right now? All the major cities burning down. Well, the French rejected God. It's called the French Revolution. They rejected God many, many years ago, and they're still reaping the seeds of rebellion and everything else in that culture. If you can't govern yourself, you need the government to govern you. But a self-governing people don't need the government to keep them in order. Because they live according to a higher law, they live according to the law of God, and they want to please God. Can you see why the church is so important? Now, let me just, I'm skipping all that section. We have a constitutional republic. We are now living in a godless democracy. The chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. And I'm not talking about biblical tolerance, which just means respecting other people who believe differently than you. I'm talking about a tolerance that accepts all beliefs and behaviors as equal. 
Aristotle called tolerance, listen, the last virtue of a dying society. America is a dying society right now. Tolerance is king in America because we rejected transcendent truth. And I want you to see what's happening. Tolerance without truth always leads to perversion. Perversion leads to lawlessness. Lawlessness produces chaos. Chaos makes people freak out. And when people freak out, government comes in and says, folks, I'll fix the problem. All right? Don't worry, we'll fix the problem. And so he enters the tyrant who asks for emergency powers. Now, listen to the wisdom of Plato. This is years and years and years before Jesus Christ, but he's speaking prophetically. Last of all, Plato writes, comes the tyrant. When he first appears above ground, he is a protector. He is full of smiles. If any are suspected of resistance to his authority, he will have a good pretext for destroying them. The protector standing up in the chariot of state with the reins in his hands, an absolute tyrant. Having a mob entirely at his disposal, he is not restrained from shedding blood. Plato says this, tell me this isn't prophetic. If a just man lived, let him die as he lived. I might add, the just man will be scourged, racked, bound, and will at last be crucified. Plato was prophesying about Jesus Christ. Democracies always devolve into mob rule, which is why Plato said democracies are the worst of all political systems. Plato believed that democracies were doomed to fail and that the best people could hope for was for a nice tyrant, a a philosopher king. Now, let me tell you, this describes America today. Let me go through this quickly. I only got a couple minutes. In America, we have the ruling class and the ruled class. The ruling class is above the law, they're politically connected, and they're supported by the commoner class, that's us. The ruling class gets to do special things. Everybody say special things. Like you get to get your hair done when no one else can go. You get to go to fancy restaurants when everybody else is locked in their room. How about this one? You get to fly your private jet to the global warming crisis summit. The ruling class, they get to do special things. In a democracy, we control and manipulate people in two main ways. Number one is fear. We trade freedom for security. Number two is free stuff. We trade freedom for dependency. Now, how many of you know this is exactly what's happening today? We mobilize or motivate people through fear to manipulate them and control them, and then we give them free stuff to make them dependent upon us and so we get to stay in power. This is American government today. So here's what big government does. I want you to see this. This is this whole globalism, this godlessness. This is what big government does. They create and capitalize on discord and chaos. Not too many years ago, they said we don't ever want to waste a good crisis, right? So chaos and discord are good business for big-time politicians. There isn't an enemy because we're United States of America, so you have to create an enemy. You have to get people to hate each other. So you pit groups against each other. By the way, this is Marxist critical theory. It's taught in all of our universities now. Lenin simply said that 
Tyrants are always looking for useful idiots, and in America, there's lots of them. We pit, how about this? We pit the vaxxed against the unvaxxed. Now, these are our neighbors. These are our friends. How about this? This is our family. How many of you had your own family pitting vax against vax? I had grandparents saying my kids won't let me see my grandkids unless I get vaxxed. This is all this sick stuff that our government, poison that our government pours into our system. They accuse others of actually doing what they're doing. They actually promote violence and bloodshed. Do you know that all these riots that were breaking out, there were pallets of bricks conveniently stationed at the place where they were. Where did these bricks come from? There wasn't construction going on. This was well-orchestrated chaos. This was not spontaneous uprising. This was well-orchestrated. This was useful idiots at work, all right, led by the government, many of them being paid to do what they're doing. You blame the opposition. You create a need, and then you fill it. And how about this? You spend for recovery. So the tyrant takes money from his political opponents and then he funnels it as benefits to his political supporters. Every single bill, uh, finance bill to finance our government is full of all kinds of nonsense that has nothing to do with anybody's recovery. It simply saddles the next generation, ready for this, into more and more government, government dependency. And then you consolidate the control through an accumulation of power. I've got... No minutes to close, so let me close. Pastor, why are you telling all this? Stop. Because you and I are the key to a, an amazing turnaround, I think, that the Lord wants to bring. And I, and I put here, we got to restore our appetite. Let's all pretend like we lost our appetite. We're feeling a little under the weather. How do you regain your appetite? I said vitamin C. I want to give you three C's, all right, this morning. And I wish I had more time. The first C is Conviction. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who lived under all these tyrants in the Soviet Union, he said the simple step of the courageous person is not to take part of the lie. So listen, when people are talking like, yeah, men can have periods. No, they can't. Okay? No, they can't. I'm just just trying to model this for you. Now, was that hard? No, it's not hard. But it requires courage, which is the next C. Solzhenitsyn also said this, when a society is consumed with selfishness, citizens lack the self-sacrificing willingness to defend it. He said, must one point out that from ancient times, a decline in courage has been considered the first symptom of the end. So you have to know what you believe, and you have to speak out against every lie. And you should do it unashamedly because you're not mentally ill and because you love liberty. So you speak with courage and you're not afraid of what's going to happen. Because listen, whatever happens to you now is good news compared to what happens with you later if you don't speak up now. And God help us what's going to happen to our children and our children's children if the church doesn't wake up. The last C is Christ. He is the hope for America, and preaching the gospel and standing up for truth and saying there is transcendent truth and saying there is liberty in Christ is the foundation of everything that we believe.
So I'm just telling you, tyranny is everywhere abounding in our nation today. We have a government completely out of control and unaccountable. We all know this. I'm from preaching to the choir this morning. This is not a cause to get out of government. This is a cause for many of you to get involved in government or at the least to make sure you're actively engaged supporting candidates who believe and support the principles that I'm, I'm preaching from right here today that are biblical principles. We're not sad. We're not doom and gloom people. We're always hopeful, and we're always full of the joy of the Lord. But we're praying, and we're energetic, and we're, we have courage because of the Holy Ghost, and we have conviction because we know the truth. Now, please hear me. We, we have been educated to imbecility in this nation, as someone once wisely said, and we simply have forgotten our history. In fact, today we're being actively poisoned against our history, and we're teaching people to hate our nation. Now, if we're teaching our children to hate our nation, how long are we going to survive? You cannot hate your nation and work toward the good of your nation at the same time. It's only a matter of time before a kingdom divided against itself will fall. So let's be a part of the solution. This topic will continue. We're gonna, and I just want to say, as we're ramping up to a national election, we'll probably spend a month talking about these important issues because they're that important. How I many you know if you lose your nation, you lose your civil liberty, you lose the ability to share the gospel freely, and everything falls down? And then you have absolute hell on earth, and none of us want that. So let's all be a part of the solution. Father, help us to that end. Bless us, bless your church, and bless this great United States of America. Give us more of you, Lord, and help us turn the tide in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend. We love you all.